And so, so, so Paul is helping, and so we want to just say, okay, hey, this is who God is, and because this is who God is, this is who we are as a church. We live in a culture and a time where the church um, has, has, doesn't have a great name, and, and for some good reasons and some for not so good reasons. And we just want to say, okay, hey, what does the Bible say we should be as a church? Who should we be as followers of Jesus? Not, not as what does Marcus think, not, not what does um, anybody else think, but what does Scripture teach us about who we should be as a church? So when we say restoring the church, we are trying to get back to a biblical vision and understanding of who we are as followers of Jesus who gather together in a local place to worship and praise God. And so that is what we are doing in, these seri- in this series. Um, um, and, so, and so we are continuing on here. Last week, um, we just simply said worship is about perspective. Um, and, and we went uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and where Paul lifts our eyes upward to say, hey, God is worthy of all of our worship, no matter what our circumstance might be. No matter what trial we may be going through, he is worthy of it all. Worthy of all praise, worthy of all worship. And so, so Paul continues on here this week in verse 15. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. Um, and so here we go, verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1 today. This is what Paul says. He says, Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. Paul is thankful for the church in Ephesus. Um, he is, whoa, hello. Um, he is thankful for the church in Ephesus. He is thankful for um, their strong faith in the Lord. For, for their strong faith in the Lord. He is thankful that, that, that they have had their eyes and their hearts illuminated to the truth of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has accomplished for them through his cross and through the resurrection. And so he is thankful for their strong faith. And he says, I'm thankful for your strong faith because it leads to strong love for God's saints everywhere, for, for the followers of Jesus, not just here in Ephesus, but everywhere. That, that, that word is going, is spreading about how you love the, peop- the people of God. You see, this is what we talked about back in John chapter 13, um, verse 34 and 35, um, where, where Jesus says, hey, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. That, that, that as followers of Jesus, who have strong faith in the Lord, that begins to play itself out and look like strong love for one another. That, that when we love one another as Christ has loved, us, all people everywhere will know that we are followers of Jesus. That, that they will know that, that, that we have, have given our lives to him and the gospel will be advanced through us because of our love for one another. That this is, this is what Paul is thankful for. That the gospel is being advanced through the church in Ephesus because they love, they demonstrate their love for one another. This is the greatest apologetic we have. Um, it, it, it's not like there's, there's not a lot of, like there's a lot of crafty arguments out there, and, but, but let me, at the end of the day, what is going to set the church of Jesus Christ apart from every other um, religious organization out there is by the way we love one another. That this is why Paul is so thankful, so thankful for the church in Ephesus. So he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And he says, I pray for you 
constantly. I pray with you, pray for you regularly. I I, I pray for you always. I, I am always praying for you. And so what has Paul found so important that he spends countless amounts of hours and time praying for not just the church in Ephesus, but I believe praying for us? What is so important that he is dedicated so much time to praying. Well, he says this. He says this in verse 16. He says, I pray for you constantly. He says, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, number one, who is, God, who is Paul praying to here? Now, he is praying to God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's important that we understand that because sometimes I believe that we can have a low view of God that we can have a low view of God. That, that, that when you and I pray, oftentimes I, I, I think we sort of like throw it up there like a hopeful wish that God, you know, if you're able, as if anything were too hard for our God. That, that when Paul prays, he prays to the glorious Father, and when he calls, he calls him the glorious Father, he's not just talking about God's glory, he's talking about God's power and ability to answer the prayer Paul's praying. And so he says, I'm praying to the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That that, that when we pray, we pray to the glorious Father. We don't pray to a puny, wimpy, unable to accomplish anything God. We pray to a God who has power to do it all. We pray to a God who delivered the people out of Egypt, out of slavery after 400 years of slavery. We pray to a God who parted the Red Sea and delivered the people through dry ground. We pray to a God who took Elijah, a nobody prophet, and he went against the the prophets of Baal, and they consumed his altar with fire when he prayed over and over again throughout scripture and throughout history we see that when God's people pray and they they have a high view of who God is and what God is able to do that God is able to do incredibly more abundantly than all we ask or think that we don't pray to a wimpy God we have to stop praying as if you know if God if you get around to it God if you're able we have to pray with boldness and faith trusting that God is able to do it And this is what Paul means when he says this here. He's saying, I'm praying to the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying to, this is who I'm praying to. He's not puny, he's not wimpy, he's not unable, he is capable. And this is who he's praying to. But simultaneously, why? He has this incredibly large, powerful picture of God. He also has this picture of God as Father. Who, the, who the, the, the gospel writers would tell us it this way, that, that we have a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his kids. And so, so while, yes, God is able and he is all-powerful, simultaneously he is near and he is close and he loves us like kids. And he knows how to answer our prayer how the best way possible for us. And this is the God that Paul has in mind here. Powerful, almighty, glorious, yes, and simultaneously loving Father. And so this is who Paul is praying to here in in his prayer. And this is what he begins to ask this glorious Father for on behalf of the people in Ephesus, on behalf of the believers in, in Ephesus. He says, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge 
of God. That you might grow in your knowledge of God. Paul is praying that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that has been given to every single person who believes, who indwells every follower of Jesus, that, that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they might have the spiritual wisdom and insight to grow in their knowledge of God. And when I say the knowledge of God, this isn't just a know about God, this is a know God, intimately know God. Like, I, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, don't hold that against me. Um, and, and I, back in the day, I was a big Tony Romo fan when he was quarterback, okay? Big Tony Romo fan, love that guy still to this day, best announcer out there. So, I could tell you a lot of things about Tony Romo. I could tell you a lot of facts, figures, stats, things like that. But I don't actually know Tony Romo. There is a difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. And when Paul says that they would grow in their knowledge of God, he's not asking that they would just simply know a lot of facts and figures about God, but that they would know him more fully, more deeply, and more intimately. That that, that would be the cry of their heart. That they would grow in their knowledge of God. And he knows that the only way that they can grow in their relationship with God, the only way they can deepen their relationship with God, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I, I pray that you would have spiritual wisdom. This is Holy Spirit wisdom. That, that, that you would live your life in such a way, that you would live your life in such a way. This is what wisdom is. It's being able to take the knowledge we have and apply it to our lives in the way that God wants us to. That's wisdom. Okay? So, so we would, that you would have the spiritual wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit to grow in knowing God more and more and more fully. That that all of our life would be shaped by an ever-growing knowledge and deepening relationship with God. That this is what the Christian life is all about. It is deepening our relationship with God day in and day out. It is pressing into him day in and day out, desiring more of him day in and day out. And yet what I'm afraid of is that oftentimes we are far too easily satisfied with the amount of God and Jesus that we have. And we're, we're, we're far too easily satisfied. That, 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 that we are, like C.S. Lewis would say it this way um, in, in, one of, in one of his books. He talks about how oftentimes that we are like children in a slum building mud pies when there's a holiday at the beach to be had. That we settle for being in the slum making mud pies instead of going to the beach where there's way more joy to be had. That we are far too easily satisfied with the amount of Jesus that we have. This is what Psalm 42, we have David, right? D- David says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. This is David, a man after God's own heart. That, that the greatest desire of David's heart is more of God. You have Moses in Exodus 33. He says, God, show me your glory. This is the same guy that talked to God through a burning bush. You, If that was me, I'd be like, hey, God, I'm good, right? But but. but but Moses, in Exodus 33, says, God, show me your glory. I want more and more and more of you. That this is what it means to be a Christian. It is to be in constant pursuit of deepening and knowing God more. And every single day, we say, God, I need you. I want you. 
Reveal yourself to me. I, I, I know that I might be able to understand some facts and figures about you, God, but, but I need your Holy Spirit to pull back the curtain so I can deepen that relationship with you and actually know you with my heart. It's not just about what I know in my head, it's about what I know in my heart. And Paul is praying this over them. He's saying that, 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 that you would have the spiritual wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be growing in your knowledge of God, that you would never be satisfied with the amount of God you have. And the beautiful thing is, is that God is infinite, which means there is always more of him to be had. This is how Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. Verse 18, he continues his prayer. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. So that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he has called. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would light up their hearts and our hearts in such a way that they would understand the confident hope that they have in Jesus, that they would understand the confident hope that they have in Jesus. So what is this confident hope? Well, this confident hope is a, is a past, present, and future hope for all believers of all time everywhere. This is a past, present, and future hope. In eternity past, we have hope that God before he ever even spoke the world into motion, saw you and me in 2023, and he said, I'm putting my affection on them. I love you. I want you to be my follower. And he, through his ability, and through his ability, he oriented history that someone at some point in time brought the good news of Jesus to you and me. That, that, that our confident hope is, is, is not just, is in this gospel that we have put our faith and hope in. That this is the, this is the, this is the confident hope of our past. That, that all of our sins have been fully paid for by Jesus on the cross. That we are fully forgiven in him. When he declares it is finished on the cross, it is finished. This is the confident hope of our past. The confident hope of our present Confident hope of our presence is that, that, that even when we mess up, that God still got us. Our, our, our confident hope of our present is that, that, that even as we toil and struggle and face trials and danger and circumstances of this life, God has got us. His presence is our provision. That, that his presence will carry us through whatever circumstance we find ourselves in here today. That, that, that it's his presence that he has given to us. It, last week we talked about the, the Holy Spirit being that down payment that, that he has given us of our future hope, right? But, but, but the, the, the Holy Spirit is with every person who follows Jesus. This is our present hope. This is our past hope, but this is our present hope. And then we have a future hope. This is what theologians would call the consummation. Where at the end of all time, God is going to bring everything to, to, to right order. He's going to, to bring everything back to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. He's going to bring us back to the Garden of Eden perfection, where, where there's no more sin, there's no more terrorism, there is no more death, there is no more cancer, there is no more depression, there is no more anxiety, there is no more anything other than God ruling and reigning and us worshiping him and living lives that make much of him as it was intended to be in the beginning. 
this is our future hope. And it's a confident hope. It's not a, it's not a I, I made a wish to a genie. It's not a, I, 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 hope, that, um, I hope that the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, right? It's, it's not that kind of hope. It's a I know so hope. It's a, it's a guarantee that God is moving and working all history to this end, and we get to be part of that. And so Paul is praying that they, that they would have their hearts illuminated with this past, present, and future hope that they have in Jesus, that we have in Jesus. And then he says this, and he, he calls them his holy people who are, rich and glo- who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Paul is just trying to remind them that God loves them. That, that, that as a king values his, store hole, uh, his storehouses full of treasury, right, gold and silver, that, that, that we are God's tre- in treasure. That, that, that he's saying, hey, you are God's inheritance. He values you more than he values anything else. You are his prized creation, and he values you so much. Verse 19, as Paul continues his prayer, and really, really gets into it further here. He says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. This is, uh, I found this so interesting this week as I was studying this, uh, that, that several commentators noted that Paul, when describing the greatness of God's power here, when, when describing the, 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 the length, the depth, the width of God's ability and power and might here, he basically exhausts the Greek language in these verses. That he uses every word he possibly can to try and emphasize and help the Ephesians and us understand the the greatness of God's power at work. That this is what he is doing here. That God is infinite in wisdom and power and he has done what no man can do. And he demonstrates this by by, by using the greatest example of all. That he raised Jesus from the dead. And the beautiful news for you and for me is that the same power that rose Christ from the dead is now at work in our lives. That this is what Paul is trying to help them understand. That they would understand the incredible greatness of God's power. The incredible greatness of God's power. The resurrection of Jesus is at the center of what we believe as followers of Jesus. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that, that if, if the resurrection didn't happen, the rest of this is meaningless. That, that, that us gathering here on a Sunday morning, us, us teaching the word of God, all of this is meaningless and pointless, and you might as well not show up if Jesus isn't raised from the dead. And so we hold fast to this truth. As God demonstrates his power in the resurrection, because it is in his resurrection that we have our confident hope. And so Paul is praying that they would understand further the, the, the depth of God's power at work. 
And then he goes into this in verse 21. He says, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the one to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things and has made him head over all things. And so, so here's the thing. What's happening in in the Middle East right now, what's happening in Ukraine right now, what's happening um, throughout our lives right now, God has not lost control. He He is not out of control of what's happening. That I don't understand exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it, but, but, but I can trust that he is in control, that there is nothing that falls outside of his hands or his control. It is all in his hand. And that not just in the physical world, in the spiritual world. That there is, there's no demonic activity that happens that God does not rule and reign over. That he is awesome in power. And this was huge for the the Ephesians. If you remember from week one, we talked about the hyper-spirituality in Ephesus. And how they used magic and incantations to to control and try and manipulate a lot of their life. And in this, Paul is saying that God's power is greater than any power that any demon or angelic being might have. That he is more powerful. That he holds it all in his hands. That there is nothing... And it's not even a close race. Like there's, there's this idea in, in, in theology of, of dualism, right? That, that it's, 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 it's good against evil, right? Like the, good, um, the, the, the Jedi versus the, the Sith, right? The good versus evil kind of mentality. And can I just tell you that that's not reality? That God rules and reigns over it all? That evil has already lost The battle has already been won. The war is over that Jesus stands victorious over it all. And this is what Paul is trying to drive into their minds here as he prays this for them. And remember, he prays this for them constantly. That that, that he's always praying this over them. He's always praying this over them. Why? Why? Why does Paul spend so much time praying these things over them? Why does Paul spend so much time praying these things for for the church in Ephesus? And I, I believe in turn for you and for me. Why is this so important to him? Well, if you look back up in verse 19, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Then in verse 22, he says, all, God put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him a head over all things. Why? For the benefit of the church. For the benefit of the church. That, that Paul wants them to understand that God's power, God's greatness, God's God's love, all of these things are for us, are at work within us, that we have access to him. We have access to his very presence. We have access to his power. We have access to his strength. We have access to his sustaining uh, power in our lives that we can, uh, that we, in order that we can push back all of the temptations in our life, that there is no temptation in our lives which we cannot overcome in Jesus that, that all the evil forces, all the spiritual things at work in our lives and around our lives, that our, the power that lives within us is greater than, uh, greater than it all. 
That his power is for the church. And, and here's, what I think that that's, here's why I think that that's important for us to understand. Is I, and, and I want to be careful here because I know that there can be a lot of church hurt in, in, in our lives and in our world. Like we, we can, the, the, the church in some times and some places has been hurtful for some people. But, but I, I don't think we can ever come to the place where I say I love Jesus but I don't like the church. The church is the bride of Christ. It's his bride. And I'm just going to tell you, if, if you say you like me but don't like my wife, we're going to have an issue. That you can't love Jesus and simultaneously hate his church. It's not, they're not compatible ideas. That they are hand in hand with one another. That this, the gathering of the church, the, 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 the local church is vital to your spiritual health. You, you, have to, you have to be here. That, 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 that if you want to say, hey, I want to pursue God and seek God, like, like you have to show up. Like, and, I, and I want to be careful, but, but, but I just want to, let me say it this way. Like, we want you here, number one. We want you here. But number two, you are needed here. That, that, that God has uniquely gifted you God has uniquely gifted every single follower of Jesus for the building up of the church. And we're going to get more in that in the weeks to come. But, but you have been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to help the spiritual growth of every single follower of Jesus in this church. Like, we can't grow up fully without you. Like, like I, I might be able to do some things, but, but I need you. I need you to speak into my life. I need you to encourage me. I need you to walk with me and help me grow in my faith. We need each other. We need each other. And we have access to the power of God to encourage one another, to, to help one another live for Jesus in every sphere of our life, not just on Sundays, but on Monday through Saturday too. So this is why Paul is so, he, he's pressing in on these ideas over and over again and praying for the church over and over again because he knows, he knows how easily satisfied we are with the amount of Jesus we have. He, he knows how easily we forget the greatness of our God. He knows that, that we can understand things at a head level and not at a heart level. And so Paul is trying to help us and pray that the Holy Spirit would press upon these things in our heart and in our lives. And so, so when is the last time, when is the last time, in a real practical way, when is the last time you pursued Jesus with your whole heart? Where, where you ran hard after Jesus. Where, where he, knowing him and getting more of him in your life, was the driving force in your life. It wasn't work, it wasn't family, it wasn't accomplishing things in this world. But it was like, hey, Jesus, um, all of this other stuff is rubbish, as Paul would say in Philippians. All of this other stuff is rubbish compared to the, the worth of knowing you, Jesus. That these things are important, but you are the most important. And he becomes the, the, the driving force in your life. That you pursued him with reckless abandon. 
Or have we been treating Jesus like a, an add-on to our life? It's like, hey, I'm going hard after this or that or whatever you want to fill in the blanket, and I'm just trying to bring Jesus along for the ride. What, is that, what does that look like in your life? And so, so here's what I want to just call us to as a church. I want to I I issue a 21-day challenge, okay? Just a real practical 21-day challenge for us, okay? And, and here's the idea. That I want to challenge you that for the next 21 days, that you would begin to pursue God with your whole heart. That, that, that you would pursue him with reckless abandonment. That, that, that you would intentionally run hard after him. That you would seek after God. And, 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 and here's what I believe. I, I believe that, that if we would do this, like, I, here's the thing, I believe that God goes wherever he wants, but he also goes where he's wanted. Okay, so, so God, God is able to do whatever God wants to do, but God goes where he's wanted. And so do you want him? Do you want him to come? And, and it's a dangerous prayer. I promise you, if you begin to say, God, I want you, he will begin to call you to things. He will begin to ask you to radically reorient your life around who he is. But I think it's a prayer that's worth praying. I believe it's a prayer that, that, that's worth sacrificing for. And so here's the three challenges in the 21, next 21 day challenge. And you'll get a handout on your way out today to help you along with this. But first thing is pray. We want to, we want to spend uninterrupted and unhurried time in prayer every day. And I'm not saying that it has you have to go spend an hour in prayer or six hours in prayer. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. But I'm just saying, hey, get, just set aside five to ten minutes every day. Not, not where you're trying to rush through it and get out the door because you've got to go to something else. Not, not, not uninterrupted and unhurried prayer. And that, mean, that may mean you have to wake up before your kids wake up. That may mean you have to get up a little bit earlier. Maybe you need to go on a prayer walk. I, I don't know what that looks like for you. But for the next 21 days, I want you to spend every single day in unhurried and uninterrupted prayer at some point in your day. And simultaneously, I want you to be praying in an ongoing way throughout your day. That, that as, as things pop up, you just, you're just saying, okay, God, I, I need you in this work situation. God, I need you. It's praying without ceasing. It's learning to pray as we go. So, so the first part of the challenge is, is prayer. Second part of the challenge is scripture. It's, it's gathering. Let's do, we'll come back to scripture. It's, the second one is gathering with the body of Christ. That, that for the next three Sundays, you would prioritize being here. That's what I'm asking. That's the challenge. That, that, that you would say, okay, hey, I believe that this is important, God, to you, and so I want it to be important to me, and so I just want to try and build this habit into my life for the next three weeks. Or I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna be engaged. I'm gonna be, be focused. and be ready for what you have for me, God, when I come. And then thirdly, it's scripture. And so here's the third part of the challenge is, is I believe that to know God, we have to spend time with him in his word. And so for the next three weeks, I want you to read through the book of Ephesians once a week. 
Okay, there's six chapters. Gives you a makeup day every week, right? If you miss a day. And, and so, so here's the, that, that, that's the challenge. I want us to seek God together. Together over the next three weeks. And we want us to see what God does in and through our lives. As we seek Him. As we pursue Him. As we desire Him. As we go hard after Him. Because He is what we need more than we need anything else in this world. May we see that and understand that. Because here's why in verse 23. He says, And the church is his body. The church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. So we are the body. We are made full and complete when all of us together are pursuing Christ. We are pursuing Jesus together. Then his church, as his body, as we grow in maturity, as we become full and complete, we fill all things everywhere with Christ. We fill all things everywhere with Christ. And so let me do this. So, so our, the reason we exist as a church, we say that we exist for gospel saturation in the foothills and beyond. That, that, that this is, this is the, the whole purpose of our existence as a church. That, that, that we would not just, not just be us four and no more here, but, but that the gospel would leave this place and every man, woman, and child could have a daily encounter with Jesus and the gospel through our words and through the way we live our lives. And so, and so that is only possible though. Gospel, Jesus, saturation in the foothills and beyond is only possible when we are filled with Christ. And as we are filled with Christ, like this cup of water, we are filled and it begins to just spill over and overflow. It begins to pour out on everyone and everything around us and it begins to saturate everything in our lives. That gospel saturation begins with us knowing Jesus fully and completely us pursuing him in our lives. And as he fills us more and more each day, that begins to spill over onto everyone, everywhere around us. May we begin to pursue Jesus in this way. Not by our power, not by our strength, but through him. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes today. Here's, here's, here's what I wanna do, okay? with nobody looking around but me, I just wanted to say, will you take the challenge? Will you take the challenge with us over the next three weeks to seek God with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole being, and say, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. And if you're saying, hey, today I'm gonna take that challenge, would you just put your hand in the air? Nobody? Yeah, all over the room. Thank you, thank you. Praise God, it's awesome. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for being God who is far above us in every way, is far above all rulers, authorities, powers, and be. And when it comes to power, it's not even close in comparison to you. And so we humbly submit ourselves to you today, Lord. 
we, we humbly beg you and ask you for more of your presence in our lives. Jesus, we want you. May that be the, the cry of our heart, the cry of our life, that, that we would go hard after you. That, that everything else would seem silly and foolish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as you fill us with your presence, because I believe that as we pursue you, you'll hear our cry and you'll respond. I believe that as you fill our lives in the day today, that you will begin to spill over in the foothills. That you would bring an awakening to the truth of your word and to the gospel in the foothills. That we would see revival break out in the foothills. That your name would be magnified and lifted high because of your greatness in our lives. Jesus, we want to see you move, we want to see you work, and we pray that we would be so deeply aware and convinced and impressed upon our heart the greatness of your power at work within us that we would live our lives with boldness and courage. Jesus, we want you. We want you. We need you. So Jesus, I ask this in faith today, trusting that you're able to do far more abundantly than all I ask or think. So we ask in faith, in Jesus' name.